0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, beginning to read with the first verse. Let us hear the Word of God. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself, because of him that prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. May God add his blessing to this reading
1: and hearing of his word. Here it is, Thanksgiving season, and I wonder if you're thankful. And if so, uh, what you're thankful for. Are you getting... What you want out of life? How are you going about getting what you want out of life? I wonder if your creed is anything like what someone has called the modern American's creed, quote, I believe in gold, the dollar almighty maker maker of everything desirable on earth. I believe in success, measured by salary. I believe in getting ahead, if this means getting ahead of the other fellow. Well, I'm sorry for him, but it can't be helped. I believe that business is business. I believe in doing good in the world, but not at any real pain to myself. I believe in loving people who love me and being good to those who are good to me. I believe first, last, and always in having a good time. If that isn't the modern American's creed, I never met a modern American. Is it your creed? Is it the way you go about uh, getting quote, good out of life. That's not the biblical approach to the good life or to a satisfying life. The Bible's approach is what's described in this 27th Psalm as meekness, meekness uh, in the sense of not always stepping on the other fellow if it will advance myself, of not uh, being self-assertive, but rather of dying to self, of putting my self-interest second to other people, uh, the way of of letting other people walk on me, not retaliating, turning the other cheek, not always demanding my rights in my way. This is what the Bible calls meekness, not weakness. You ever try to live that way? It's not weakness. It takes an immense amount of strength, superhuman strength, to live that way. But... Uh, these are two entirely different uh, patterns for life. Maybe, uh, maybe you've taken the meek way, and, and that's why you're not thankful. You've taken the meek way, and you haven't gotten ahead, and you've watched the other people take the other way and make a success of life, like the movie actress who said, Why shouldn't I let the producers make love to me? All the other girls do. They're the ones that are successful. They're the ones that get ahead. Sure, I've got principles, and I've stuck by them, and what has it gotten me? Not very thankful, was she? Maybe you feel this way. Maybe uh, you're envious of the success of those who take the other approach, even though you've chosen the meekness of the scriptural way. The psalmist wrestles with this concern. He opens up his 27th psalm, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. And in the seventh verse, fret not thyself, because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Uh, He says what we are not to do, and then he tells us what we ought to do. He offers us some counsel over this concern. What we're not to do is to fret, and the derivation of the word, it means to heat oneself with anger, not to get all worked up over this, Uh, not to let this eat away at me, Uh, not to let it uh, really upset me, and not to be envious, and not to wish that I could be as them, not to uh, inwardly grudge them the success that they've had, versus. The problems that I've had, maybe. What are we to do? Well, the psalmist says, number one, trust in the Lord. Trust him, first of all, as your Savior. Because unless you trust him as your Savior, you're just kidding yourself when you trust him as anything else. You see, if you're trusting him to look after you, but he's not your Savior, he hasn't committed himself to look after you. You say, well, the Lord is my shepherd. No, he's not. Not unless he's your Savior. The Lord is my shepherd once he's my Savior. First, take him as Savior. How do you trust the Lord Jesus as Savior? You cease to trust yourself. You cease to stand on your own record. You cease to think that you're not as bad as uh, some others, and uh, God's going to grade on the curve, and he'll let you in. And uh, You're trying to do better, and next week you're going to improve. Don't trust in those things. Realize you're no good, undone, that your best deeds are filthy rags in his sight, that you have no righteousness of your own, that one sin and you're earned and you've got a thousand and one. Realize that uh, the Bible says that as many as are under the works of the law, as many as trust in their own record... Or under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Unless I keep the law perfectly, I'm under the curse. And no one's kept it perfectly. You cannot stand on your record. Cease to trust in you and your goodness and your record. And trust in Christ as the Savior from sin. The one who assumed that record of yours 2,000 years before you ever had it and paid for it in full. The one who died for your sins, that's the Christian faith. That man is no good, and God sent his son to take that and pay for it, and now offers you a free forgiveness if you'll get off of your record and put your trust in a sinner's only hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. And surrender your will to him. No such thing as having Christ as Savior and not as Lord of my life. Know this nor other terms complain where Jesus comes. He comes to reign. He must be Lord. Surrender your will to Christ, put your faith in Christ, and then just trust that you are saved on the basis of His great work. And then begin to trust Him in other areas. Trust the Lord in this business where other people are getting ahead of you in work. Trust the Lord. Uh, in these disappointments of life do good is the second bit of counsel trust in the lord and do good are you a do-gooder he says be a do-gooder be a real do-gooder do his revealed will in other words walk this meek path continually consistently steady in that way In spite of all the obstacles, in spite of all the temptations, follow his will. Inhabit the land. King James says, Verily, so shalt thou dwell in the land. But according to various commentators, a better translation is, inhabit the land. J. E. Alexander, the famous commentator on the book of Psalms, says this, The land is the land of promise. A secure abode, which is often used as a comprehensive expression for all the covenanted blessings of the chosen people. In other words, inhabit the land that God has given you as one of his own. If you belong to him, he's given you an inheritance. That inheritance is comprised of promise after promise after promise after promise. But you have to claim them. You remember when the people went into the land... The Lord said, the land is before you, and it's yours, and I'll give you every inch that you put your foot on. You've got to possess it. You've got to take it step by step. The Lord has made you promise after promise after promise, but you've got to appropriate them. You've got to claim them. Inhabit the land. Claim these promises for your situation that God has made to his own. He's promised peace. He's promised an inward joy. He's promised many things, 7,000 promises. Feed on truth. The King James says, Verily thou shalt be fed, but again, a better translation, feed on truth, or feed on God's faithfulness. Alexander again says, The truth thus fed upon is God's truth and faithfulness in the performance of his promise. Claim that promise, and see God be faithful, and you'll be fed, or you'll be strengthened. Your soul will begin to grow muscles. This last Thursday night at our Bible study group, as we uh, after we broke up and we were standing around, one of the fellows there was sharing with me the things that he had seen happen just this last week. Uh, since he had stepped out in faith and obeyed God... In the matter of tithing, he and his wife had discussed it, and they had said, we will do this, and we will even go beyond. Although he is a new Christian, and this is the first time he ever thought of tithing. He said, this we will do. And he he wanted to just share with me the things that God had done in just two or three days, that he could see God immediately rushing in. He, He told his wife, he said, you know... Uh, Dick Myrie said that uh, he had done this and his sales had increased, but I'm not in sales. There's no way for my income to increase, but there was, and it did. I said, how about sharing this with a group? He did, and then another said, wait, let me tell my story. And then another, wait, I can top that. Fed on God's faithfulness, as they had claimed the promise, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And God was showing himself faithful. The psalmist says, Delight thyself in the Lord. We all know people who delight themselves in various things. One man delights himself in business. This is his life. To him to live is business. A girl delights herself in a boy. To her to live is Sam. I mean, if Sam doesn't call her up, she dies. Uh, we know what it is uh, for a wife to delight herself in her husband. Uh, I think of a particular wife in our congregation that uh, she delights herself in her husband. Uh, you're around her, and she extols his attributes. And uh, she, uh, her life is wrapped up with him, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> We're all pleased with that kind of activity, especially me. But uh, no, I really think of another one who uh, this is so characteristic of, and uh, it's a it's the type thing that that uh, we're told by the psalmist to do in reference to God. Concern ourselves with our relationship to God. Make the furtherance of that relationship, our goal in life. Derive our pleasure from that relationship. Uh, Seek what pleases him, and let that be the thing we aim at. Delight thyself in the Lord. Concentrate on this. Choose this. And it is a choice. It is a deliberate act on my part. And yet, that act is not an act that's independent of other things. If you come to a man who has no previous experience with the Lord and you say, delight yourself in the Lord, it's hard for him to do. He half fears God. He, he is not at all sure that he can trust God with his life, much less with his business, you see. And a man has to, has to follow the procedure that the psalmist is outlining. He has to begin to trust Him and begin to obey Him and begin to feed on God's faithfulness And then he can begin to delight himself in the Lord and to get a thrill out of this relationship and to begin to see the possibilities and to make the increase of this relationship his goal in life. Then he goes on to say that we are to commit our way unto the Lord. Or, a better translation may be, roll upon Jehovah thy way, which speaks of the privilege of Rolling this great big burden of my course in life and these great choices that I have to make. I can roll that burden over on the Lord and say, Lord, you make the choices. You know what I want to be in life, Lord? What you want me to be. That's all I want out of life, Lord. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to make the choice. I'm asking you to make the choice of what you want me to be and what you want for me in this situation and that situation. It implies subordination of my will to his, and a surrender could cost me very heavily, couldn't it? Oh, no. As a poem, and I've I've lost the first verse of it, but it goes like this. Nothing this truth can dim, he gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Nothing this truth can dim, he gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I think back of Abraham. Abraham, on one occasion, uh, was faced with uh, a choice, and he let someone else choose first. He had the right to, but he stepped back, and he let the other person choose first. And he did it because he was following this path of meekness. And immediately God comes to him, and he says, Abraham, fear not. Fear not, I am thy security, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. Abraham, you've chosen to let others go ahead of you, and you'll walk the way I would have you to walk. Well, I want you to know that you have me as your inheritance, and you're way ahead. You're not losing by doing it that way. He goes on to say, then, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord. Be silent to Jehovah is the literal uh, translation again. Be silent to Jehovah. No impatience, no interference. In this given situation, I tell the Lord, Lord, I trust in you. I commit this thing to you. I want your will in the situation. And now I rest in you. I'm going to be still in my spirit. Oh, I may go about, carry on certain activities, but... Inwardly, the whole matter is up to you, and I'm at peace about it. Lord, if I don't get my way, fine, because I want your way. And if my way is not your way, then please overrule. You know, the counsel over and over to Israel, and that they so continually went against, was this matter of resting in the Lord. The Lord told Israel, He said, Your strength is to sit still. Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, and ye would not. Instead of all of your scheming and planning, instead of all of your devious ways of going about what you want, rest in me, be quiet and confident in me, and let me give you what I want for you. Recently, speaking with a young man who shared with me that he had a great problem, and as we discussed why the problem came out, he wanted a particular thing in life, and it was slipping away from him. And uh, there was a question of competition, and the competition was getting ahead. And I suggested this procedure: trust in the Lord, or oh, go ahead and, and set about to get it, and use normal means. But don't don't be overly aggressive about it. Don't jam your way on through to that thing, regardless of who gets stepped on. Just use normal procedures and trust in the Lord. And if he wants you to have it, he will give it to you. And if he doesn't want you to have it, as precious as it appears, then you really don't want it. Let him choose. And inwardly be at peace about it. We have this privilege of rolling this on to the Lord and resting and being still in him. And the fact that we have rolled it on him will show up in whether or not we are still inwardly about it. He gives us the consequences of the two approaches to life. He's given us the counsel about the approach we should take. Then he gives us the consequences of the two approaches. The self-assertiveness versus the dying to self. He says, compare the two as to endurance or as to the long-range outcome. The evildoer, verses 1 and 2, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Or verse 35 I have seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. A very striking illustration of that, and one that you've probably heard, concerns ten men, eight men. These eight men met in 1923 at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago, eight of the world's most successful men. President were the President of the world's largest independent steel company, the President of the world's largest utility company, the greatest wheat speculator in the United States, the President of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the Federal cabinet, the greatest financier in the history of Wall Street, the President of the Bank of International Settlements, the head of the world's largest monopoly. Collectively, these men control more wealth than there was in the United States Treasury. For years, the newspaper had featured their success stories and held them up as examples to the youth of the nation. Look at their story 25 years later. The president of the world's largest independent steel company, Charles M. Swab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died penniless. (laughs) The head of the world's largest utility company, Samuel Insull, died in obscurity in Canada. The greatest wheat speculator in the United States, Arthur Cutton, died abroad in solvent. The President of the United States of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in Sing Sing. The member of the Federal Cabinet, Albert Fall, was released from prison so he could die at home. The greatest financier on Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. The President of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. The head of the world's largest monopoly, Ivan Kruger, the so-called Match King, leaped from a plane crossing the English Channel and committed suicide. This is what the psalmist is saying that he had observed as he, over the period of his lifetime, had watched what happened. Versus this, the permanence and peace of the righteous. He says in verse 11, The meek shall inherit the earth. "...and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace." In verse 18, "...the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever." In verse 37, "...mark the perfect man," or the Christian, he's not perfect, but he's righteous in God's sight, because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to him. "...mark that man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace." He contrasts them as to the long-run outcome. And remember, he really hasn't even brought in life after death. Bring that into the balance. Don't leave that out. You see, that's the longest time that any man is going to exist. That's forever, isn't it? All men will live somewhere forever. And then as to enjoyment... In verse 16, he says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. He says, you know, the the righteous man, the meek man, so he doesn't get ahead in terms of this world. But what he has is much more enjoyable to him. He gets a great deal more pleasure out of it. you remember Solomon's experience? Solomon describes his experience in the book of Ecclesiastes, He says, Whatever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not from my heart any joy. My heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor which I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. There's the richest man in the world, the man with the most wives. I can understand his problem there, but anyway. Uh, as to enjoyment, the righteous, uh, we're told, in verse, compared to the unrighteous, the righteous, he says, Receive the desires of their heart. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, something happens. When you commit your life to Christ, and then this is a growing relation, and more and more you are seeking your portion in him, you want to do the thing that he would want you to do. You let him choose. You roll your way on to him. Something takes place within. It's brought out in the uh, verse a little further over where it says that the law of the Lord is in his heart. The law of the Lord, uh, the law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide in verse 31. The law of of his God is not in his heart by nature. Men by nature don't have God's law in their heart. This is something that takes place when a man commits his life to Christ. You remember how God called Moses up to the mountain and said, Moses, bring with you tablets of stone. He brought tablets of stone, and then the finger of God inscribed on those tablets of stone the law of God. Something very akin to that takes place when a man becomes a Christian. God calls this sinner to himself, and the sinner brings with him a heart of stone. But God softens that heart. God gives him a heart of flesh. And then with his finger he writes on that heart his law. The law of his God is in his heart. This is one of the miracles that takes place in a person's life when he becomes a Christian. He finds it deep within. For the first time in his life, he really from the heart wants to do God's will. He wants those things that God wants for him person asked me recently, he said, uh, what is the difference between your life before you became a Christian and after you became a Christian? I said, well, when I, before I became a Christian, I did what I wanted to do, and the thing that grieved me most was that I couldn't do it the way I wanted to, because if I had, I'd have wound up in jail. After I became a Christian, I did what God wanted me to do. And the thing that grieved me most was that I couldn't do that like I wanted to. That's a revolution in between those two approaches to life. And as Paul says, he delights after the law of God in his inner man. This is characteristic of the Christian. So when a man wants God's will done, then God can do his will in the man's life. This is what God wants done. And the man receives the desires of his heart. He receives lasting satisfaction. I can give my children the things they want when I want, when they want what I want for them. Then I can afford to give it to them gladly. And I'm satisfied and they're satisfied. As to enjoyment, the righteous, what he has is far better. As to establishment, in verse 23, He says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. By way of contrast, in verse 28, The Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The Christian is established. This establishment consists of his being led by God through life. The steps of a good man, and remember this goodness is imputed goodness, it's Christ's goodness put to our account, and it's this changed life. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, or are established by the Lord. That's God is actually directing this man's path in the way that will be best for him. Any man who thinks that he can go through life and choose what is best, is a fool because no man knows the end from the beginning. And you can make uh, the best decision in the world, but you don't take into account all the factors and you will make a drastic mistake. One out of every three marriages winds up in divorce. That's tragic. These people were not led when they did this, but a Christian has has the privilege of being led in this choice of a pardon. His steps are established. He will be upheld in verse 24. Though he fall, yet he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. He will be allowed to fall, but God will be with him when he falls in that fall. As a matter of fact, the fall was a part of God's ordering of his steps. When tragedy happens to the Christian, he can rejoice in it. He can thank God for it. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. The reason he can thank God for it is that he's been promised by God that his steps are being ordered. He knows that God had a purpose in that thing. This is a great privilege. One man has suffered more than most. George MacDonald wrote this, Man has a claim on God, a divine claim for any pain, want, disappointment, or misery that will help to make him what he ought to be. He has a claim to be punished and to be spared not one pang that may urge him toward repentance. Yea, he has a claim to be compelled to repent, to be hedged in on every side, to have one after another of the strong, sharp-toothed sheepdogs Of the great shepherd sent after him to thwart him in any desire, foil him in any plan, frustrate him of any hope until he come to see at length that nothing will ease his pain, nothing will make life a thing worth having but the good, but the presence of the living God within him, that nothing is good but the will of God. That's what's going on in a Christian's life when he falls. As Someone has put it in a poem. Tis that I am not good, that is enough. I pry no farther. That is not the way. I don't question what God is doing to me. Here, O oh my potter, is thy making stuff. Set thy wheel going. Let it whir and play. The chips in me, the stones, the straws, the sand, cast them out with fine separating hand and make a vessel of thy yielding clay. We're like statues hewn in the rough and God is shaping us up and those blows are the statue's privilege. God is designing us to be like his Son conformed to the image of Christ. What a wonderful establishment is going on in the Christian's life as God is conforming him to the image of his Son. We can see then the Tremendous importance as we approach life of spiritual thinking, of taking into account both levels of life, of not living just on a horizontal plane, but of bringing to play on the life that we live here, all that God has said about the long run, about who's going to have the last laugh. It it likens God to laughing at the wicked. It says, God shall laugh at the wicked. God has the last laugh. No one is equipped to face life until they've had brought to bear on themselves all the facts. The importance of bringing all the facts to bear on every area. You can be a Christian but be miserable because you're not appreciating what God is about in your life and you're not appreciating your end versus their end. And so uh, you're, you're envious of them and you're tempted to compromise. The importance of choosing the meek course in life. The importance of taking that that course that Christ took. You remember Christ. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he, was, when he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to God, who judges righteously. That's the same pattern that is the blessed pattern. We can live it with His strength. And it's been outlined for us very directly here. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Feed on His truth. Inhabit the land. Claim the promises. Delight thyself in the Lord. Commit thy way unto Him. Rest in Him and be quiet. What about it? Which is your course? Are you envious of the other course? If you've never really chosen the meek course, if you haven't been willing for Christ to shape your life, to determine your choices in life, there's no time like the present to make that decision. Come today. Talk with me after the service, and let's get this straight.